the back. The All About F1 podcast. We are back. back. You know, it's been it's been a long time, you know, busy schedules and that. But we're we're not quite at the halfway mark of the season. We're a little bit over, but we're excited to be back. Um, you know, we have a fresh perspective, you know, the advantage of talking about the season, you know, once it's halfway, is we have a really good sense of these cars now. As if you listen back to our Bahrain episode, you know, it'll be interesting to see if our viewpoints have changed. Mm. I mean, I I do think I I remember a couple of the things that I said. I I really had no clue how the season was going to play out as it did. Yeah, um, I, I think I probably said something quite rude about Esteban Ocon, which um, I probably <laughs> lived to regret. But uh, anyway, so as we I live said, uh, and we learn precisely. Um, um, oh no, yeah. you can. No, <laughs> no. Uh, anyway, no. Anyway, and I think so. We'll start off with Emma. Um, I'll give yeah. what we what we like to. I'll get because we don't have time to go. You know, in deep into the pa- practice sessions. Practice. And, I wanted um, to break down the the high and low rate design actually, and the <laughs> yeah. had on the aerodynamics s- of the car. Spend an hour on yeah. each free practice session. You know, um, but anyway, <laughs> we need to go into serious depth. Precisely, but anyway, Imola. So Imola, of course. Hamilton took pole from uh, Perez and Verstappen. Verstappen did take the lead, though. So, you know, I'll try and give you a refresher because, you know, I'll be impressed if you can remember the Imola highlights from what is now quite a few months ago. Verstappen mm-hmm. took the lead. Um, uh, Mazepin and Latifi crashed quite early on. Um, so, you know, Hamilton also midway through the race made a mistake but was able to rejoin. Um, Bottas and Russell had that huge crash, which, crash, which we'll talk about a little bit. And uh, Norris also uh, managed to overtake Leclerc after the restart because, of course, that crash brought out a red flag. Verstappen won the second race to stay the race. Sorry, won the race. And uh, Hamilton recovered the second with Norris rounding off the podium. Now, if we cast our mind backs, um, what what were your thoughts? What were your initial thoughts, um, Tristan, about the... uh, a wet race in only the second race of the season is it, it's quite it rare. like a dream come true it's a dream come true yeah um i remember when i because i watch on channel four i have to wait a bit and i, yeah, I think this same. arrangement is the same with you we have yeah. to wait in the uk um a couple of hours to catch some highlights unless you're um, forking out half your wages for sky f1 which you know Please, Sky, just let me see free practice. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I remember I, I had only just tuned in and I saw Fernando Alonso sliding off into the barriers on just his outlap. And yeah. I saw the, the inters and I was like, oh, yeah, it's happening. It's happening. And I was just in disbelief. Mm. Um, but yeah, what what a race for only the second race of the season was. Yeah, it was. A lot of fun to see. Yeah. Um, obviously, as you have mentioned, there's been a little bit of controversy around this race. Um, yeah. So, I think first of all, we should probably cover the the Mazepin Latifi incident yeah. because at this point in the season, people were still quite sort of Mazepin eh, about Mazepin. Uh, they they and weren't Latifi, too nice. You know, to him. everyone likes to say, "Oh, I love Nicholas Latifi because you know he's done quite well in the last couple of races," but you know. People, you know, Latifi, and still uh, some now, you know, he's only in the drive for the money, you know. 
well. It was like a cash money draw. All you needed was Lance Stroll in there as well. And it would be uh, <laughs> the three favourite money yeah, yeah. money boys of um, F1. But yeah, it, was, it wasn't a great crash. And of course, Schumacher lost his front wing. So a pretty dire start to the race um, for Haas. But I think the, the, big, the big moment there was Bottas and George Russell, you know. George is known usually for his calm composure in these sort of scenarios. He is, he's on the sort of like the F1 safety board, isn't he? With uh, Seb Vettel and mm. Alex Wurz. Yeah, he's um, um, chairman of driver safety, yeah. I think. I'm not sure quite what the specifics know, of the role are. Already with both, you know, already this season was marked as, you know, this is sort of, this is Russell has to shine now, you know. We know he's got the talent. It's time for him to show it, um, you know. Bottas, he's, you know, not getting any younger. I mean, while he's still not an elder. The sport, you know, he, he is under pressure. He was under pressure. And it was, um, you don't usually see George lose it like that. Mm. I mean, the, the incident itself was quite curious, I thought, because um, obviously the track was drying at this point. Mm. Obviously not at a, a race in knots or anything, but it was drying. And I think George was just being a little bit ambitious and just sort of stepped out onto the wet line mm. as Bottas because the corner, there's a corner in the middle of the straight, pretty much. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very slight, which is what made the incident so unexpected. And I think neither of the drivers were really expecting the cars to behave like that or, um, yeah, yeah, it was such a nasty accident. Um, yeah, I mean, he he barely went off the line, but obviously, yeah, it's those little dip a wheel in the wet and you lose all traction, and yeah. well, the rest is history, really. Precisely, it's um, you know, I think Russell would, you know, was probably trying to prove something a little bit. You know, we can all speculate, can't we? Um, but it was, it was, it was, it wasn't a good crash, you know. Um, and then it was nice to. See- one Hamilton second, you know, Norris rounding out the podium. It was, um, there's not a lot to say about that podium. I felt a bit, bit bad for Charles Leclerc being overtaken during the race restart. But as you say, we've talked about Imola in previous episodes. You know, we had a discussion, I think, about DRS zones. But hmm. it, what, what are your thoughts on Imola? Do you think it should stay? Do you think it should become a, you know, constant fixture that we go to? Or do you think, um, it's too narrow. It's not a modern car circuit. What are your thoughts? Well, I think the thing with Emma is that it has this sort of magic dust around it, mm. um, especially in the last two seasons, you know, coming unexpectedly to a new track um, in such an upside down topsy turvy season. Uh, there was a lot of hype around it, really. And yeah. this season we had a wet race there. We were very fortunate to have a wet race there um, because we went very early on in the year. I think if we went that early on again and had it at that end of the calendar, you know, yeah. sort of in the winter period, then I think maybe we could keep it on. But um, being realistic, the first race, I think, had one of the fewest overtakes of 2020 mm. um, in the year that it debuted um, Yeah, with these new cars. So... Yeah, overall, I th- it's a lovely track to drive. I, I, the drivers really enjoy it. I think it's a pleasure to watch it, but there just isn't enough room 
to overtake, I don't think. The only opportunity in- is really on a main straight. That's interesting. Um, Well, you know, F1 at the end of the day is, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, not wanting F1 to become a procession. You know, that's why these new rule changes are coming in. I'm a, I, I think Imola is a great track. Um, I think I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't, it's, it's really tough. I think uh, at the end of the day, it won't really be down to um, whether it's, you know, good race or not. It will be down to do F1 make a lot of money from hosting a Grand Prix there? Because, you know, F1 at second as much as we don't like to admit it. Um, but it'll be interesting. You know, I'm certainly not against it being on the track, unlike, you know, <clears throat> poor Richard. Uh, but you know, it we'll come I, I can on understand where you're coming from, yeah. So, next race, it was the Portuguese Grand Prix. Uh, if I'm right, you know, yep, you are absolutely uh, right. <laughs> a few, I, I wouldn't want to skip out Spain or something, anyway. So, it was the Portuguese Grand Prix. You know, Bottas took pole, he managed to keep his lead for a little bit. Um, and then, of course, on lap two, the two Alfa Romeos collided, uh, Giovinazzi and Raikkonen, and you know, Giovinazzi was. Um, no, sorry, was it Raikkonen who was forced into retirement? Yes, I think it was, it was. Raikkonen. Yeah, Giovinazzi was his, his front wing stuck under his wheels, I think. Yeah, Giovinazzi could continue, but Hamilton managed to overtake Bottas and took Bewan, Perez, and Norris, uh, fourth and fifth, with um, Verstappen and Bottas coming second and third, respectively. Verstappen did take the uh, fastest lap, but um, it was deleted. Um, I can't quite remember the reason why you may be able to. Um, but so that meant um, no go on go on oh well and Bottas got fastest lap Um, uh, it was a you know it wasn't I mean it was it was it was okay and what were your thoughts and do remind us why Verstappen didn't get the fastest lap because it's just gone from my mind yeah well I can't remember exactly what corner it was it was one of those high speed right it's yeah you just dip a, a toe over a bit and the FIA yeah. can get a little bit touchy about that um yeah, that, and I think the great... said afterwards you know I didn't know they were checking track limits there so a little bit of yeah. controversy around that um and then of course the race itself wasn't quite um as entertaining as it was last year I think it had a significant amount less overtakes, if I remember correctly. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it was, I don't know. We'd had such fantastic races before, and um, this just didn't quite live up to the expectations of the fans. It's Don't get me wrong. It's a fantastic track. But, mm. again, it's, a, it's the same as sort of with Imola. It's... Is it worth keeping it on the calendar if the races are going to be a procession? Yeah, I mean the problem is, like it's what well, ever have you, you know, it has great history, you know, both for good and for bad. But with Portimao, you know, it's a modern, you know, the Portuguese Grand Prix was on the calendar for a while, but this is, this is of course not a historic track. Um, it's it's modern, and so that that makes it less appealing. Recession. They go, well, that's that's pretty poor show, actually. Someone's designed this track and it it hasn't delivered. Whereas you see tracks like Imola, Monaco, etc., you think, well, you know, these are these are tracks that were built for cars, you know, in decades previous. 
history. You know, I like them because, you know, it's Imola, it's Monaco, etc. But people don't go, oh, well, that's OK. They won't do all the boat picks because it's Portimao. I think I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I haven't been too controversial there for the... Oh, no, no, no. I think yeah. you, you make a very, very fair point there. Um, I think, again, it's the sort of the magic dust sort of thing with Monaco as well. Mm. You know, it's a very mixed opinion. It's very split down the middle. There's a bunch mm. of people going, well, Monaco's iconic. It's been there pretty much since the start. If, if not from the start, I'm not really sure. Well, even in the years before, they had sort of Grand Prix. So yeah, they had. Um, they definitely had cars racing there before. Um, yeah. But yeah, tracks like Monaco and Imola and these places with you know really rich history, they have an excuse, like you say. But then there's the other side of the fan base who are like, well, their time's sort of passed. These are new yeah. cars. They're not really meant to go around there. So on and so on. Yeah, there's strong arguments for both. The thing with Monaco is, as with these old tracks is, they're bad. They, you know, If they're not great, they're usually quite bad. But when they're good... They're really good, you know what I mean? We we look back five, six years, you have like four races which probably go oh, oh. and then you have a couple like Daniel Ricardo Redemption, which are just absolute crap. I mean, you know, the iconic races of this decade in F1. And that's the danger of losing the track is on top of it being a great race, it's Monaco, and that just makes everything a little bit more special. The danger mm-hmm. is you take away those tracks. And we do lose some of that magic. You know, F1 is, you know, where it's it's easy to forget with these modern cars and, you know, everything's, you know, but quite flashy that this is a sport, you know, which has been around for a long time. And even before now, racing ever since someone thought, oh, four wheels engine, that's been pretty good. And, you know, part of the reason you have tracks like Monaco is, is to appreciate the history of F1 because that's part of what makes it so special. Is you know teams that have legacies like Ferrari, McLaren, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, <laughs> very well summarised, I think. <sighs> I Shall we move so on to Spain? Yeah, let's let's do so. So, so Hamilton, of course, took his hundredth pole position in Spain, which is a huge milestone. But, you know, mm. lap one, Verstappen managed to overtake him at lights out. Very aggressive move yeah. down the inside, but he, he did make it stick. Yeah, which is, you know, just shows the class driver that Hamilton is up against this season. You know, Yuki um, sadly retired, making it his first Formula 1 retirement. Uh, Hamilton managed to take the lead after Verstappen pitted, but due to it being an undercut, uh, Verstappen managed to take it back on lap 28. Um, but it's sadly a slow stop and the decision to stay out a little too long for Hamilton. Um, oh, no, sorry for Verstappen. I've got my, my stats mixed up. So, a slow stop for um, Verstappen and decision to stay out on those old tyres too long. And that managed to allow Hamilton into the lead. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bottas rounded up the podium. So, in terms of, you know, I personally don't enjoy Spain. I am, you know, I view it as a place where you go to test cars. I don't necessarily think it's a fantastic racing circuit. You know, the, it was good... But, you know, like, it wasn't because of you know, the racing, the track, it was because of the tactics employed by different teams, you know, taking gambles and tyres, etc. So while it was a fairly, mm. you know, it was more of a tactical race, you know, what are your thoughts on both that Grand Prix and Spain in general? Um, 
why I think that that Grand Prix was. I don't really know, to be honest. Uh, it just it felt a little bit dry, very bitty. It's, of course, yeah. it's always great to see uh, Verstappen and Hamilton going wheel to wheel. It's always quite special to see drivers who are fighting for the championship, giving it everything. But yeah, yeah, Spain is one of those places which is just a it's a tactical masterclass. It yeah. has very very little to do with actual wheel-to-wheel racing it's what goes on with the engineers instead um yeah and then i saw they i don't know if you noticed but they changed the track configuration just a little bit this year um yeah i don't know if you remember that that hairpin at the end of that straight when you you come up onto the hill through that really quick right hander at the end of that there's the hairpin do you remember that yeah there it is Instead, so they use the sort of, I believe it's MotoGP layout, um, yeah. which turns it into this long, sweeping left-hander, which unfortunately made it just a little bit drier this year because that hairpin is one of the only places which has really hard-breaking and isn't awkward, so you can actually see moves there. Um, and it also, having long, mid-speed corners... I'm sure, as you know, um, yeah. makes it a lot tougher on the tyres. Mm. Um, and I believe I, when I saw Hamilton overtaking Verstappen, they, show, they showed the, the onboard. Yeah. And he was just getting showered with rubber um, from Verstappen's tyres. Yeah. And there was still five, six laps to go or something. Yeah. So yeah. I think that, that says just how hard some of these tracks can be on uh, Pirelli tyres, which we may get on to later. Are not known for their um, durability, to put it that way. Mm. So, but, you know, so what, if you had to make a split decision, you know, we have to take, we have to go over you. I think we have to drop Spain at this point. Mm. Unless they uh, reconfigure that final chicane, yeah. Then I think the track has very, very little hope. Yeah, and it, I, I think for me it's a testing track. I don't a track where you know it produces that great racing. Anyway, moving yeah. on. And I mean, it it Ooh. does. Sorry. No, no, it no. It does no, um, do a very, very good job of testing as well because it's got all these ranges of corners and it gives all of the Formula One teams like this very in-depth data. So I'm not saying like we remove it from the Formula One picture entirely. Mm. I think it's great for testing. But it's not a race circuit. The racing isn't quite there anymore, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so, of course, the next race was Monaco. Monaco! Um, yes. Which, you know, you we, we've this. discussed a little bit. Leclerc took pole, which, you know, is pretty immense, despite crashing in the final moments of Q3. But mm. that crash, everyone did think that was big at the time, of course, caused a drive shaft failure, which he was unable to start upsettingly. So, um, pole position and he led from Bottas and Carlos Sainz. Sadly, on lap 30, Bottas was forced into retirement after his front run tyre um, didn't come off during what was meant to be just a routine pit stop. Verstappen took victory as well as the championship lead for the first time in his career with Red 
with a one-point lead in the Constructors' Championship. Behind Verstappen, Sainz took his first podium for Ferrari and Norris took his second podium of the season in third place. So, thoughts thoughts on Monaco, thoughts on... Um, actually, uh, I'd also like your opinion on Ferrari and Valtteri Bottas this season. I feel this is a good chance to discuss them. Sorry, as, as this over the season? Uh, yeah, you know, sort of what's going to happen to Bottas, of course, you know. Mm. Rumours circulating, I mean, like, and also where the uh, the prancing horse um, and their performance, where it lies, really. Mm. Um, well, it's where do you begin? I mean, obviously, <laughs> fantastic Ferrari taking pole is huge considering where they were last year. I mean, they yeah. were struggling even to get out of Q two, um, and podiums became a rarity and. Obviously, hats off to Carlos Sainz um, for getting on the podium this weekend. Um, yeah. You know, because it's so hard to stay focused at Monaco. It's Yeah. I'm not sure how many laps. It's 76 or something. But yeah. Just endless corners and the barriers sort of seem to close in on you after a while. Um, yeah. So it's very mentally draining. Um, and I think Ferrari have found their feet a bit on these street circuits. It's a shame that uh, Singapore has been dropped from the calendar for this season um, because yeah. they have seemed to thrive there in the last couple of years if you yeah. ignore 2017, which was obviously a regrettable incident. But I think Ferrari have done very well this year on the street circuits. As we move on to Baku, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about that. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think Ferrari are in... A bit of a, a weird position right now. They're in this very, very tight uh, battle with McLaren uh, for third in the championship, um, yeah. for best of the rest. You know, all the focus sort of seems to be on um, Verstappen, Hamilton, Mercedes, Red Bull, and like all the the headlines are there, but nobody's seeing in the background that McLaren and Ferrari are only really split by just a couple of points every weekend. Yeah. And they're constantly going wheel-to-wheel on track. So it's really thrilling stuff to watch. Um, yeah, and then, of course, of course we, we have to talk about um, Valtteri Bottas and Bal- where he Daddy lies Bal- this evening. I think yeah. he's been awfully unlucky. I mean, that that pit stop in Monaco was came through no fault of his own. Um, yeah. I think in the end, it ended up at, let me see, yeah, 43 hours a 43-hour pit stop is obviously yeah. not going to do you any favours. Um, it's such a shame. I mean, he I took um, pole in Portugal, but from there, it just all seemed to go downhill a bit. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a shame. I think Valtteri Bottas gets a bad rap, personally. Um, I think it's tough. You know, you're with has been a dominant car for, I mean, we're, we're closing in on a decade now as being basically the front runner in the sport um, or one of them. I mean, you know, and honest people don't like Mercedes because they're Mercedes. Um, just as people thought, you know, when they dominated, as with every team that dominates, people get, oh, it's boring, blah, 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 blah. I mean, I think Bottas, mm. he's, he's a quiet man. He's, um, you know, where you have people like Daniel Ricciardo, um, et cetera, you know, they're big personalities. 
Um, they're quite, you know, media friendly, if you if, if you know what I mean. You know, people warm to them. Whereas Valtteri Bottas is, you know, he keeps himself to yourself. If you've watched Drive to Survive, which, I mean, if you're an F1 fan, let's, let's face it, you have. But if you haven't for any reason, do go. It's on Netflix. Um, you know, you see him. He's goes to his home in Finland. He's very quiet, very simple. Um, you know, very much like Raikkonen. I think he's quite a family man. Um, and he, I think that's why he does get a little more stick um, because he doesn't have this sort of glowing, you know, oh, Bottas performed badly, but, you know, he's a Bottas is performing, albeit maybe uh, he, maybe he is underperforming um, in a car that he should do better. But the fact that he is not necessarily, you know, out there, and as warm as some of the other drivers, I, I, I think that does hurt him. You know, if your partner in the team is arguably the greatest of all time in the sport, that is going to reflect not that well on you, no, unless you're sort of coming in second place to him every single week or, you know, beating him, which, let's face it, you know, is tough to do. Mm. I mean, you, you've summarised it very well there, and I think you, you raise a very fair point about the media. The media have such a massive effect on the face of Formula One. Um, yeah. And it's made this this whole politics sort of show, and it's it's all very, very complicated. But I think mm. for Valtteri, it's not very fair because he hasn't said anything to hurt anyone, or yeah. he's never really been unfair in the way that he's spoken, but all the same, he gets all this stick for it. Um, and it feels like such a long time since we've seen the man, well, even smile. It's just, it, yeah. it's very, very sad to see. And I think that um, this might be a similar sort of situation to, you know, Vettel at Ferrari in 2020 yeah. and Ricardo at Red Bull. Um, sort of the toxic environment sort of starts to creep in at the end of their days. And I think mm. drivers just feel a need to well, they, sort of they know get away being from that. Sort of, and I think that's yeah. that's probably why uh, Bottas is shown to have um, a very closed-off life, a very quiet life away from the racetrack and all of the, the buzz and the atmosphere of Formula 1 because yeah. it is just... It's like being in a shark tank. You know, if you... Yeah, you're just desperately trying to survive, and it's there's it's so really... much going on that you can't really do anything. Yeah, it's tough because he knows he's not the future of Mercedes. Um, he knows at some point he's going to be ushered out the door. I mean, it it looks even more certain now that George Russell will be driving in that Mercedes seat next season. Um, you know, it could surprise us, and of course, with Kimi Räikkönen retiring, there are rumours whether you know. It, I, than um, to Williams because I think that would be I think Williams are a team that are looking for young fresh talent up and coming I think that's the, they're not mm. a team that really wants to take drivers who even though we don't like to say it are on their decline um, yeah and I think it's tough he knows where well, he is knows well you know I am he is effectively he has made Mercedes who they are um, whereas Valtteri, you know, there will always be questions whether he didn't do as well as he should have done in that Mercedes car, whether he slightly underperformed. Of course, there was great pressure 
you know, because Nico, you know, along with, which is usually forgotten, Jensen Button, they're the only really drivers. You know, Hamilton has always had great dry relation, not great relationships. He's always had, it's always been interesting when you're partnering Hamilton. He's quite a, Hamilton's quite a, He's not an attention seeker, but he's someone who likes to make sure he who likes to know he's loved. We saw with Alonso in his early McLaren days, you know, he clashed quite a lot. Then, of course, they had the other Finn in F1, uh, Heki Kovalainen, if you remember, and McLaren for two years, where, um, you know, that McLaren car wasn't that good, you know. Lastly, ever performed. Then, of course, you had Button in the early um, tens um, who managed to beat him. I think it was the 2012 season, like quite a fair amount, of course. Uh, Hamilton left to join Mercedes and, you know, have made them into the team they are today, the global brand. Had, had a very volatile relationship with, with uh, Nico Hulkenberg. So it, it is tough. Um, anyway, moving on to Azerbaijan. Uh, Leclerc took pole again. This time, managing to be able to start the race. Um, he led for a lap before Hamilton managed to get past on lap two. Uh, but Hamilton was held up at his pit stop to allow Gasly to pass, which thus handed Verstappen the race lead. Lance Stoll crashed out due to tyre failure, and we'll talk about this a little bit later. It brings us back to the Pirelli issue. And they brought out a safety car. Verstappen, you know, with a fairly comfortable lead, suffered a tyre failure causing quite a heavy crash onto the pit straight, bringing out the safety car and it, the race got red, red flagged. Um, the race was restarted with two laps of racing left. And while Hamilton went up for a move up the uh, inside of Perez, the restart, he, had, he forgot to adjust his brake bias and missed the corner, putting him effectively in last place. So Perez managed to win for the second time in his career and took his first win for Red Bull. Um, and Seb Vettel took Aston Martin's first podium in Formula One, while Gasly took his third career podium. What were your thoughts on Azerbaijan and Pirelli? Do you think they're good? Do you think they have too much of a monopoly on uh, the tyres in F1? Where F1 teams are able to choose which tyre manufacturer they wanted to use. Hmm. Well then, I think there's, there's only one way of putting uh, Baku. It's biblical scenes. Seriously, I've this is one of the best races I've seen in years. It's really, it's right up there with Monza 2020. It's, it's kind of miracles happen. do happen. I mean, obviously, this didn't quite happen, you know, as an on-track thing. Um, but obviously, a red flag so close to the end gave us a really unique scenario that we had never seen before. And it actually, yeah. it gave um, F1 a bit of an idea of what their sprint races could look like if they, you know, potentially shortened them, um, which is an incredible prospect for the future. Um, yeah. But I think it has to be addressed. There were a lot of angry faces um, sort of around the Formula One teams um, following the race, following those two tyre blowouts. And there were actually questions raised whether... For, you know, uh, Pirelli would be able to supply tyres that can support these cars because they're the best in the world. They're the quickest cars in the world. And if you can't support them, then it just becomes dangerous. And I, I saw this, um, this recreation of what would happen if 
Verstappen had gone the other way across the track when his tyre had failed. You know, he went to the right side, which even though it was a very heavy impact, it was still, you know, very heavy. Wait, sorry, did I just say that? I just said that twice, didn't I? Um, but anyway, going the left way across the track, he would have actually made contact with the pit entry wall, which juts out and it would have created a very similar scenario to uh, Grosjean in Bahrain, which would have split the car in two, essentially, and, well, caused a fire if these safety measures had not been introduced. So it, it's a terrifying idea, you know, that we could even see something like Grosjean's crash again. Um, and it very nearly happened. So, yeah, Pirelli had all of this um, controversy going on around them. I think you raise a fair point about um, the days when Formula One teams could actually pick the tyre manufacturer that they bought from. You know, it created this whole other competition level where you were looking for, you could even pick like, various different compounds you could say uh, i want our tires to be exactly in this performing window rather than with pirelli you're like here three tire sets go away now it's it's just not the same um and especially coming up to a, a race like france which um as you know i'm sure is very heavy on the tires with all of its high and mid-speed corners it's yeah I, it's safe to say there were a lot of worried and angry faces around the paddock. Um, and, of course, like, Pirelli had to find a way out of this um, and said, oh, yeah, there was debris on the, the main straight, which, I mean, I, I can see why that might be, but nobody saw on the replays, I, I don't think, that um, Verstappen had actually picked up any debris into the tyre. So maybe there's still a bit of explaining to go down, go on down at Pirelli, but it's obviously not the ideal scenario. Okay, so sort of after Azerbaijan, we sort of start, we sort of beginning of the season, the first third, if we'll call it. Um, you know, we sort of have a better sense of the teams, the cars, the strengths, and etc. So. Going into France, Verstappen took his second pole of the season, but went wide and lost the lead to Hamilton. He managed to regain the lead with the uh, with an undercut, um, but found himself under a lot of pressure by the two Merck drivers. He pitted and was quite a long way behind Hamilton, but because of that speed advantage, he managed to overtake both the Merck drivers for his third win of the year. Hamilton was 12 points behind from the driver championships with um, Sergio Perez taking third. Um, pushing Bottas to fourth. Uh, well, I don't know whether that's third place in the drivers' championships, or yeah, I think that may be in the driver championships. Um, sorry about that, but anyway, it was the first race of the season actually, where the winner or the first race of the season with no retirements, which is an achievement. And Red Bull managed to extend their lead over Mercedes in the constructors' championship to thirty-seven points after the race. So what were your thoughts on France? Well, for me, France is, I'm sure, as you know, France is not normally 
a track renowned for being exciting and mm. you know really gripping. It's, it's another one a bit like Spain normally. It's all in the strategy because it's very heavy on the tires. Yeah. Um, but this race just copied Mercedes' strategy back across. Yeah. And it's it very sort of poetic in a sense. You know, they did exactly what they did to them in Spain. Yeah. So it was, yeah, for me, it was um, a very, very close race, um, especially watching those laps when Verstappen was very heavily under pressure from the Mercedes drivers because he was going like, please tell me the gap, tell me the gap, tell me the gap. Um, but he managed to, you know, get away with it. And for me, that was actually a pretty decent race. Yeah, of course. Of course, we're, we're midway through the season here, but it, it, it does seem quite a spicy relation. You know, we're, I think we're in for a good season. You know, we've got fighting at the top, which we haven't really seen since Seb Vettel uh, in 20, 2018, I write, um, mm. was when Seb really did challenge. Of course, you have an unfortunate retirement in New, Nuremberg. Um, which, you know, sort of ended, stopped his momentum and Hamilton, of course, really to the driver's championship. But it do, does seem like we have two quite even cars, to be fair. Um, the only worry is for Red Bull is when you get to the end of the season, they do tend to be Mercedes' favoured circuits. Um, mm. So, really, to beat this, to be competitive, what we saw Ferrari do is you have to get a lot of points at, you have to make sure you get it's a bit like behind games and perform well at the away games if you view circuits to favour cars as so if Mercedes are at a track they favour it's sort of like a home game you need to make sure you take the points at the home games and try and take as many points as you can from the away game can't expect to touch that with the podium each time um, so sort of after after France, we get to the Styrian Grand Prix, which was the doubleheader Austria was back, of course. Um, so the Styrian Grand Prix was the first back-to-back race. Um, on the first lap, three cars collide. Hamilton, I mean, sorry, Verstappen won from Hamilton, meaning Verstappen extended this title lead to 18 points and Bottas came third, taking his first podium since Spain. In the Austrian Grand Prix, which is the second race of the doubleheader, Verstappen took pole. Um, on the first lap, Esteban Ocon retired with broken suspension. Norris received a penalty for what the race steward deemed to have forced Perez off the track. Perez then received two penalties, being the same to Charles Leclerc, so quite a lot of controversy there. Verstappen won the race from Bottas and Norris, with Hamilton finishing fourth after picking up damage, meaning that Verstappen of that Austrian doubleheader had a championship lead of 32 points. Now, I love Austria, personally. I remember it's the first, I think, Austria, which previously had been a bit of a Marmite track to F1 fans, I felt, when F1 was cancelled and it was a doubleheader when we came back in the 2020. It's a very unique season for obvious reasons and produced two good races um, with, you know, of course, Lando's last lap antics, etc. And I, I, I'm a big fan of Spielberg. But what were your thoughts on the Austria doubleheader? And are you a fan of Spielberg as well? 
Um, uh, this is tough, you see, because you can't always expect races to be incredible and extremely engaging. But it just felt like I felt a bit let down, especially by Styria, because normally on the opening weekend um, of a double header, you know, obviously it's not very normal, but when the drivers came back um, from that massive gap um, with the lockdowns and everything, yeah, they were all out of practice, which I think was what made the Austrian Grand Prix so exciting. But at this point, they were in full flow. So I, I don't know. It just it didn't really click so well for me. Yeah. I was, it's fair to say I, I did expect, I did set my expectations quite high um, which was maybe a little bit unrealistic, but yeah, I just feel a bit, you know, upset because, especially in, there's been like at least one major event at the Red Bull Ring um, since 2018. Yeah, so consistently doing something each season, but for me, there didn't really seem to be much of a standout element. Um, from these races, apart from, of course, um, you know, Perez's multiple penalties. Yeah, I can understand that. That 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 is the trouble with F one. We you know we've discussed it. It's always going to be a discussion. Is there's a fine balance between good circuits, good racing, and you know, do you have to sacrifice? It's it. I mean, it's so super. It's impossible, really, to tell whether a circuit's going to be good at racing. You know, we there's loads of instances of people building circuits. You know, so much research going into what would be the optimum circuit. Basically, and it turns out to be absolutely rubbish. So it's hard, and you know, it's very, very rare that circuits deliver consistently year after year, and that's why it's so important to keep them on the calendar. You know, San Paolo. Silverstone or just a couple that pop to mind straight away um, and I guess it, again it's it's a tough one it's not a particularly long circuit there's the there's turn one which is a good you know overtaking opportunity and you could argue turn you know three I think it is actually because there's a kink in that straight there um, but actually there's else in terms of you know, opportunities to overtake because those long winding corners aren't quite long enough for you to get around another car. So I understand why, you know, you can potentially um and ah about that circuit. But of course, moving on now to the British Grand Prix, which I, you know, a little bit biased and being rich first myself, I think Silverstone is an awesome track. I know loads of people who went this year and everyone said it was amazing and, you know, I'll get on. It was not amazing because it's a great track with great racing because of also what happened. So, of course, this is where they tried the sprint race. Uh, we'll talk about that enough. This. Verstappen managed to make a better start than Hamilton and overtook him and led every lap and won the first F1 inaugural sprint with Hamilton second, Bottas third. And that that meant Verstappen, of course, started on pole. Um, lap five of the sprint, uh, Perez spun, dropping into the back. Which meant he had stuff in the pits of the race. On the first lap of the Grand Prix, Verstappen and Hamilton collided at approximately, it says here, 290 kilometers per hour or 180 miles an hour at Cops Corner, which we will definitely talk about. Um, and ho hopefully, Christian Horner doesn't listen to this podcast. 
<laughs> Hamilton made contact with Verstappen's right rear tyre, um, and of course went into the barriers. Hamilton was penalised with a ten-second penalty, which you can argue was it enough, was it not? Leclerc managed to lead most of the Grand Prix, but uh, finished second after Hamilton managed to overtake Norris, Bottas, and Leclerc in the late stages of the race, which was it was a remarkable drive. Um, I remember I, I watched it live on Channel Four, which is the beauty of the British Grand Prix. Is for us that are rely on freeview you can watch it live and he managed to reduce the verstappen gap from 33 points to eight points so i think we both agree silverstone's a fantastic circuit but before we talk about the incident what were your thoughts on the sprint race format oh hallelujah thank you for sprint races seriously like I don't know if this is just sort of the live element. Um, you know, watching something live and knowing that you're the first sort of to see it. Well, not literally, but it feels like it's fresh, it's new, and yeah. anything can happen. Um, whereas with the replays and things, you don't really get the same sort of feeling. But especially when I saw um, like Perez go shooting across the track when he span off. Mm. I just hands were on my head. I had no idea. Like, is he okay? Because that's one of the quickest parts of the circuit. Yeah, and it's such a bizarre place to lose the rear. Um, and also I remember that the start got underway very, very quickly. I it was they had all only just lined up, and suddenly the lights were all coming on, and Verstappen's brakes were on fire, and I was <laughs> like, everything seemed to move just very quickly and it it sort of got the adrenaline pumping a little bit even though I'm not the one in the car or at the circuit or anything I'm not involved with this at all and yet somehow I feel so involved with it it was just it it was a brilliant feeling for me Um, and I think they really it's the ideal way to start the only problem I have with sprint qualifying is calling it pole position and I know a lot of drivers have already talked about this but pole position should go to the people who set the fastest lap in qualifying. Yeah. Sprint qualifying got the same as qualifying. And it just creates this whole other statistic thing where it sort of changes the pole position. So maybe maybe we have qualifying and we also have something um, sort of along the lines of, uh, you know, you get half points or something. Well, that maybe be a more viable option. Well, I, I'm fine with the points thing, but they, they called, because Lewis set the fastest lap in the original qualifying, they gave him the Speed King award. But when Max yeah. set, well, when Max won the sprint race, he then got the, the pole position award. My idea is that we reverse those instead yeah. and have Max be awarded the Speed King award Lewis be awarded the pole position award. I mean, it's it's a very simple swap, but I don't really understand the thinking between, you know, behind um, actually calling them that in the first place. It just it really messes up the history books and everything. Mm. Um, I don't know what the articles are on it. No, no, I, I agree. Um, I I didn't manage to watch the uh, sprint race live, but um. I agree. I think it, I think it's a, it's an interesting idea. It's one that we definitely 
have been straight away. I think it's definitely not perfect. There's definitely tweaking to go on. But um, anyway, the Verstappen and Hamilton collision. It's, I mean, it's interesting. I, you're a Red Bull fan, but also you're British, so you know, difficult because, of course, you know, if you looked at anywhere F1 community, you know, people not necessarily looking at the race. You know, that the problem is with huge potentially season-defining crashes or incidents like this is people don't tend to look at the facts. You know, if you're an ardent Red Bull fan, you know, yeah, you see the replay once, just see the Stappen hurtling into the barriers, and you do think that's awful. And Ed, there's no denying it was a really, really bad crash. On the other side, it, it did feel like, personally, I felt like Hamilton got a lot of stick. Um, I was discussing it earlier with some people. Just yesterday about that crash, and we came to the conclusion that both drivers had parts where they were at fault. Um, we came to the conclusion mm. that I think Verstappen turned away, Hamilton turned in, a, you know, not turned in as in, but you know, into, uh, into him, no. And then Verstappen changed his line again, basically, which is the conclusion we came to. So both drivers are at fault. You know, Hamilton could have left him more space, but at the same time, Verstappen sort of implied there was a bit more space and then decided, hmm, actually, I'm not going to give him that. Um, but what were your thoughts, you know? I think you've probably seen there's that really interesting angle where, of course, you see the TV camera's perspective. Where, but there's there's that guy who's videoing it from the stands at Cops Corner, and you get a huge sense of the actual velocity of the crash. Because I mean, you can watch it from drones, helicopters, and but it's when you're what when someone's filming it from the stands, you get an idea of the sheer. You know, it's a bit more from a human perspective. And you just understand the sheer pace of those cars are going around and the absolute speed that he comes hurtling about tyre barriers from. And so what what were your thoughts? Well, I think, um, firstly, I'd just like to talk about the the whole stands camera thing. I think yeah. you're, you're absolutely right, because the, the problem with the cameras right now is that they, they track the cars. Mm. They don't... I think they should have, like... Um, Standing I don't know camp. if you've seen that video of Melbourne, like that that fast chicane. You know the one? Yeah. Like they've got one where it's just a stationary camera at the and side. Just... I think they should have at least one of those broadcasting on the TV yeah. at every track. Because otherwise, you have no idea how quickly these cars are going. Yeah, I mean, they, they like clock up the miles, you know, in... in, in... Absolutely no time. It's not like sort of A3 speed where, oh, you know, Sainsbury's closes at six. We got to go. You know, these are hundreds of mile an hour. These guys are sending around. And to be fair, the ordinary, you don't see that. You know, hundreds of miles an hour. So it's really difficult to get a perspective of it when you're not there, which is why crashes are so hard to sort of take into account. It's, it's, It's so tough to understand the speed. Um, that these things are going at, as you say, when we watch them for the TV camera. And that is how, you know, brutal these things can be. Mm. Anyway, I will get on to the incident. Now, I'm going to be as open-minded as possible here. I, As you explained, I am British, but I am also a Red Bull fan. Mm. I, you know, I took quite a lot of time um, 
after the incident to sort of take into consideration things and I looked at a bunch of the evidence um, and I think I, I've come to a sort of similar conclusion as you is I think it is a racing incident at the end of the day of course I was I was absolutely furious after the crash because it was absolutely massive and I it did it did seem a little bit pointless at the time um mm. I guess, you know, people have been talking about this coming all season. All the drivers and all the commentators, or basically anyone who knows anything about F1 has been seeing this coming for a very long time. Yeah. So it was to be expected, but I didn't expect it quite so suddenly. Like it just happened in an instant. Um, yeah. I think, like you say, it's your version of events is I think very correct. Um, and with high fuel lows, cold tires, it, it was never really going to work for either of them. I think Max was expecting Lewis to back out. Lewis was expecting Max to back out. And I think they both sort of underestimated how far the other was trying to go. And they're just sort of, that's the thing with championship rivals is that they push each other all the way. Um, to the breaking point and it's just I mean anything could have happened in that moment but um, of course the the crash is what came about Um, but we we did see a a similar sort of manoeuvre later in the race of course this is now on lower fuel and uh, better worn in tyres when uh, Hamilton and Leclerc went wheels to wheel and I did think for a second that's the same move really um, gutsy. Yeah, I did think so. Um, but thankfully, Leclerc, well, not really thankfully, uh, he ran off the road um, as he, he got a bit skitterish. You can understand why. Yes. Oh, no, don't let him near me, please. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's such a tough instant to call. And I think Personally, I'm I'm embarrassed with the way that Red Bull handled it at the end of the day because now Christian Horner goes off to every race and he's just bad mouthing Mercedes all the way and Max going oh I'm extremely offended and appalled that Mercedes would dare celebrate a victory. You're just sort of like really. I'm I'm really glad you brought that up. Actually, I was. As I said, this is these are season-defining moments. You, it is going to be touchy for all parties involved. And it, I was, I was sort of in the camp of, ooh, you know, that, that's a bad crash. I think you know, it's clearly Hamilton is not blameless here. But you know, it, it was gonna they were gonna have a big collision at some point. But it was it was really disappointing to see Horner come out absent. You know, really sort of go into, you know, Hamilton quite hard. We. Has a habit of saying these sort of controversial things. He's a bit like the Eddie Jones of F1. You know, he says things and it's, they're designed to pro- provoke an, ex- you know, a response. But I sort of, I think they took it to a slightly, I, I wasn't really sure what they were going to get out of it. I wasn't, I, it was interesting to think they were maybe, were they trying to persuade, you know, Michael Massey to disqualify Hamilton after the race? Um, I, I can understand why you'd be angry, but. It was disappointing, and to say Hamilton shouldn't celebrate a victory while Verstappen was in hospital. I mean, if it was a more, if Verstappen was in there, the thing 
precautionary checks at the end of the day. If he was in there with serious injuries, that maybe you'd ask him to turn down. You know, you can't expect Hamilton to not rock up at the podium on the top. You know, at first place at his home Grand Prix, which it was a it was a really good drive as well. It wasn't like he just cruises in first place and they're on. He still had a lot of work to do, Hamilton. And mm. um, you know, and then to get Alex Albon to sort of try and take the lines that they, both drivers did, and then submit evidence to you know the stewards. I think it was disappointing to see, and I thought quite a few fans viewed it as quite petty, is the sort of sense. Yeah, it, it seemed a bit childish at the time, and it, it still does to me now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I say, I'm I'm just sort of embarrassed that they responded in that way but I'm also a bit disappointed in the press that they they carried these questions on to Hungary um, and it came to a point where in the middle of a press conference uh, Verstappen and Hamilton were sitting next to each other and they got asked this question for like, I don't know, a millionth time or something and Max is just, he completely lost it and he was just like, Look, can we just stop these questions because we've gone over it so many times this weekend and I'd just like to move on yeah, completely fair. Mm. Um, and I do think the press can be a bit, you know, sort of I, annoying. Isn't really the word. I think persistent. They're yeah. very. They're always sort of there. Um, but anyway. Yeah. Well, talking about Hungary, let's um, let's move on. So Hamilton was fastest in Corley and took pole in Hungary, which was a nice change. Um, rainy conditions at the start of the race led to Bottas misjudging his braking and sliding. Which then thus sort of created a domino effect. And uh, I think we've discussed Bottas earlier and the way people view him. I think a lot of people were very upset. And I mean, it's it's really tight. I should talk about the race. Um, so I'll come back to this afterwards. Mm. So yeah, okay, nice. um, Perez, Lance and Leclerc all retired, basically. Lots of debris on the track. Race was red flagged. Um, Hamilton led from Ocon and Vettel. While Verstappen had acquired a lot of damage, was 13th. Hamilton didn't pit for the slick time. Um, which meant he was the only driver on the grid for the restart, which then saw him drop to last place and he pitted on the next lap, which was not the best strategy call of all time. Kimi Räikkönen was released, so to speak, into um, Nikita Mazepin's path, putting Mazepin out of the race. Ocon managed to hold his lead to take his first Formula 1 victory, finishing ahead of Vettel and Hamilton, who managed to force his way back up um, the rankings. Sadly, Vettel was disqualified for a fuel sample issue, basically meaning he didn't have enough, which meant Hamilton was second, Sainz was third. Hamilton's leads, um, and Mercedes also regained their advantage over Red Bull. Meanwhile, Latifi and Russell got seventh and eighth, taking Williams' first points since 2019. So there's a lot to talk about here. We sort of got to split it up. Let's talk about the big crash at the beginning. Um, sort of Alpine and the job they start off with Tristan thoughts on the crash was Bottas an unfair scapegoat here um 
Well, this this sort of thing almost always happens in the way I think it it was just um it was like an exaggerated effect, so to speak. Um you know, you always see people sort of having to experiment with their breaking points a bit in the wet. Um, mm. I think Valtteri getting overtaken by Lando so early on in the race, you know, before he's even reached the first corner, sort of made Valtteri feel a little bit helpless at the time. Um, and he was desperate to sort of get back. Yeah. Um, and in the end, that just sort of threw everything a bit, you know, out of his control. Of course, like he is still ultimate to blame, ultimately to to blame for the crash. But I do think people were a little bit too harsh on him about it. Of course, like he did cause it, but give the guy a break, seriously. Mm. Um, but obviously, well, the, the knock-on effect wasn't that pretty, um, as we saw. I, I, don't even know how many cars went out at the start. Um, do you know? What, what? How many cars went out? Mm, yeah. Um, I had it here. It was Bottas retired, Norris who retired in lap three, Perez, Stroll, and Leclerc. Um, mm. They were. It was sort of a domino effect. But um, incident aside, Alpine very strong performance. Of course, Ocon. Ocon, sorry, took home's <laughs> first uh, win of F1, you know, highly, you know, a driver whose potential was viewed at one point to be exponential. Of course, he raced with, if you remember, Manor with Pascal Wehrlein, um, I think it was mm-hmm. 2015, um, and then yeah, raced with Force India with Perez for a couple of years. Sort of viewed as sort of, you know, similar to Verstappen, a driver who drove maybe a bit too much in emotion. He's come back to Alpine, had up until this point probably a bit more of a low key season. Um, and, you know, a lot of plaudits could go to him, but also credit should also go to Alonso, who did. It was sort of like we were back in sort of, you know, years past, you know, holding up Hamilton for the best visibility and what is clearly not as good of a car. So, what, what are your views on Alpine and, and Ocon and Alonso? I think the case with Alpine overall is that they they often aren't especially consistent. They go from race weekend to race weekend and you see their you know their performance duck and dive and it, it goes pretty much all over the place. Um but I think Alpine in this situation they did incredibly well. They handled the situation perfectly. Um and Alonso was well, I'm not sure that people would have said this about him in the past, but he was an incredible team player in Hungary. Um, and we really saw a bit of the old Alonso come back. And he, it, I can safely say it was a pleasure to watch him defend like that. It's really yeah. the sort of quality you'd expect from a two-time champion. And, well, and more, really. Yeah. Um, you know, forcing someone in a top-two car round the outside, down the inside, sort of just keeping him off for, I don't even know how many laps. Was it five, six, I something like that? It was, it was an impressive feat, though. Yeah, very, very impressive display. Um, yeah, I think, and now that Halpin have signed um, Alonso on for another season, 
I think that's 100% the right choice. I know when Alonso came back, everyone was just a bit... Mm-hmm. Is he washed? You know, he's old, he's a bit washed, yes. And everyone thought, you know, he's he's going to come back, he's going to flop, he's going to just sort of storm off um, in anger. Yeah. But no, he, he stayed with it, and it's really paid off for him. It, it, it's I think he's... Hopefully, we'll see a lot more of this. Um, yeah. Well, as the season goes on. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I think you know. I think the person who will be most happy with Ocon signing on will. Sorry, the Alonso signing on will be Ocon. You know, he he seems. You know, that's. I mean, if anybody was going to, you know, have a good influence over you, you want Alonso, who you know, arguably one of the most talented drivers has ever been in the sport, which is, you know, fantastic. Um, but of course, seventh the Tifi and Russell, you know, a lot of hype over this. Uh, I was a very, there's a very nice post-race interview where George Russell says, focus on Nick. Cause you know, he did more, he, he's got more points than me. You know, of course, Russell's sort of the poster boy for Williams. Um, but mm. it, you know, it's great. Under points, sorry. This new, this new sort of takeover they had last year, it seems to be, from what we can see, working. It's an exciting, young, you know, no doubt the talented driver lineup. Um, so, what are your thoughts on the Williams outfit, and what do you think the future is for them? Well, I think this was, you know, it was a very bizarre race. There's no doubt about that. You know, you saw the whole order flipped on its head, and. You know, a bunch of cars you'd never see at the front. You know, we even saw Latifi in a podium position at one yeah. point. Um, and Russell was effectively in the race lead. Unfortunately, he had to hand the positions back because he overtook people in the pit lane um, yeah. as they were queuing up. But I don't know. Is is this like um, a false dawn for Williams? or But... They've secured enough points, I think, to land them um, solidly eighth in the championship, unless you know, Alfa Romeo or, dare I say, Haas pull off a madness um, in the rest of the season. Um, I could see it happening. And Nikita Mazepin is the Formula One world champion. Um, I can see it now. Uh yeah, I, I think it's important that we don't get carried away, but it's it's so thrilling to see them back in at least some kind of fighting form. Mm. Um, of course, points can be... Points are not always like um, the most desirable thing in Formula 1, but for Williams, after... Well, since 2019, I don't know yeah. how many seasons that is. It's, yeah, one and a half seasons with no points, being a backmarker team, being constantly lapped every race. Yeah. Yeah, it won't have been a nice experience for Williams. Um, so I, I'd say I'm, I'm over the moon that they finally got something to show for the last couple of years um, and to show us that they, they will be back. And I hope they'll be back, especially coming up to these new regulations. Yeah. Uh, I can only reiterate what you said so sort of the last race we've got to discuss is the Belgian Grand Prix at the time of making this podcast of course 
Zanvor, if I'm saying that right, do correct me, is going on currently. But, you know, because we don't want to talk about the race because obviously there's not a lot of purpose talking about quality, you know, and we can't talk about the race. So in the Belgian Grand Prix, of course, Verstappen took pole from an inspired Russell P2 and Hamilton and what was a wet quality session, you know, lots of anticipation, wet races. Um, but sadly, the race was heavily affected, which saw the start of the race delay by 25 minutes. Um, I think, if I'm right, Perez binned it on the outlap. Mm, um, yeah, and so, which was not yeah, great. A three-hour delay basically followed. The race was... It was red flagged. It wasn't restarted. And it became the shortest race in Formula 1 history. Um, and yeah. Russell was awarded half points. So Russell effectively took his first formula one podium and um is that williams's first since baku 2017 with lance stroll i think you yeah i think you're right there it's either 2017 or 2018 no it's 17 yeah which is an awesome feat um as 75 percent the races wasn't complete of course half points was awarded um which this did mean that hamilton's third place meant his lead in the championship was cut to three points you know it's great job you know inspired lap by Williams it's it's hard to judge you know it's unlikely he would have stayed up there for the whole race but surrounding the issue of the Belgium Grand Prix do you think it should have been suspended you know even though that's difficult because of course this is a triple header you know delayed for another day do you think they call it off no points just one of those things what it's a difficult scenario. There've been various statements released over the course of this week. What are your What are your views on it? Well, I think it would have been obviously dangerous um, to go ahead with such a race in such challenging conditions. If um, I don't think you've seen, you might have seen this, but the the W Series crash that we saw just I think a day or two before, um, when there was a little bit of oil on track, the track was a little bit damp. And they all just careered off at Radion, like it was a six-car pile-up or something, a bunch of cars flying yeah. everywhere. Um, really horrific crash. And it, there were a lot of... Um, obviously, Radion is notorious for being a very dangerous corner. corner. Um, and I think that's all it would have been to run the race on a day like that. It was just... Yeah, yeah, it was. I, I think don't probably really right. like to think about what could have happened, um, because yeah. obviously something very, very bad could have easily come from running a race like that. Precisely. Um, um, but there is an opening. I don't know if this will fit into Formula One's calendar, but there is still that to be confirmed uh, slot yeah. um, nearing I the end of the season. But, which um, they could, they could um, allow the Belgian GP to fill again, yeah. Um, and then this way they can also resolve the issue of um, of all those poor spectators who stood out in the rain and everything, yeah. Um, and actually giving them a race to watch well, without yeah, having to the, fully refund them. I think it's a nice idea in principle. I mean, not. The Mr. Doom and Gloom, but it's difficult because you may that may have been something that you've put, you know, put in the calendar years in advance for that race. There's no mm. what do you do if you can't attend? You have to give someone the full refund there, logistics wise, because 
towards the end of the season, it's the F1 world effect. So, to sort of flip back to uh, Belgium, would that would that be necessarily ideal? I'm I'm not sure. So I think it's. I don't think it would happen, but it's it's nice to think. And if anybody yeah. of the high brass at uh, FIA is listening, um, you know, this is our suggestion. Cool. Do credit us if you decide to go for it. You know, just a little shout out. Um, but yeah, sadly, I don't think it's going to happen. But anyway, that's that's sort of our. Should we call it the mid-season review? I think we can still call it that because we didn't go over. Yeah. Because Belgium doesn't really count. So I think yeah. we can call it that, surely. Yeah. So, of course, looking forward into the... We're sort of mid... We're talking to you midway through the doubleheader, effectively. We have Italy in a, in a week's time, which I'm sure will be highly anticipated. Then we have Russia, Istanbul, the US. It'll be nice to go back to the US, Mexico, San Paolo. That'll be exciting. Then, of course, there's TBA, which... Will there be a race there? Will there not be a race there? Only time will tell. And of course, then we have Saudi Arabia and Abu Dhabi to round off the calendar. You know, quite a lot of controversy surrounding either. It's a different circuit, but it seemed interesting. So if you had to give us, as we always like to do at the end of these episodes, if you had to give us, who do you think is going to win the title? Who do you think is going to be the surprise driver of the next half of the season? Mate. I put you on the spot here. But this, this is, is, what, uh, this is what it's all about. I think as much as it is nice to dream, um, I do think that Hamilton will, will, will win the championship. Because as, as you have said, is it's largely... Mercedes dominated tracks for the rest of the season. Um, and Verstappen's very much in uncharted territory um, with fighting for a championship. You know, he's never been in this position before, and there's a very strong chance that he'll just lose his head with all of this. Um, yeah. yeah. So, unfortunately, I, I do think, even though Verstappen arguably has been a little bit more worthy of the championship this season. I do think Lewis will take it. Um, yeah, at the end I, of the day, I do know what you mean. That it, it is, you know, Hamilton. As I get, you know, when it comes to you know nursing a title, you yeah. know, none of these drivers bar Seb Vettel on the grid, and well, you know, Alonso and Kimi, but you know, they're not going to be up there. Well, they are. They are. Mm. I'm sorry. They neither is Seb Vettel, <laughs> but you know. None of the drivers who are, they're all, they're very, there's a young crop of drivers who will look to push for Hamilton in the future. Um, and it's, you know, he is experienced as they come when it comes to nursing titles. So I think you're right. Um, and uh, you forgot to mention who your surprise package will be. Then I'll go on. Oh, to... surprise package. Yeah. Nikita Mazepin. Do you think Mazepin? Surely. You know, managed to get a 10th <laughs> place. I hope so. We just need I a massive so. nineteen-car pile-up. <laughs> we need someone. We Nikita need... Mazepin wins the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. We just need someone to put their hand up. We need someone like you know, who's it going to be? Mick, Mick, start no, from the back no. of the grid. Mick needs to take everyone out. I think Kimmy's the sacrifice. I think with Kimmy on this last race, goes boys are having a nineteen. Driver of the day. Yeah, we can give him driver of the day. He gets his interview. 
Nikita wins the race. Perfect. That's, I, you know, I'll just, I'll go to bed. My <laughs> prediction. I will have was... completed. <laughs> like, yeah, go on. Um, but go on, as I go said, on. I was, I, it was, you were, I was sort of banking on you saying Verstappen. And I, you know, I, was, I thought that was going to be, but I, it is so hard to look past Lewis. Um, hmm. I do think Hamilton will pip it. Part of me, part of me, it's so tough. It's so tough. Um, you know, as we saw in Malaysia in 2017, you can have one, or was it 2016? Sorry, you can 16. have, yeah. you know, a rate, a failure, you know, an engine failure, you're 25. That is chunky to make up when you're getting to the business end of the season. Surprise package. Oh, I, that's really tough. It would be easy to say Haas are going to score some points. I haven't really thought about it. <laughs> I think there's going to be, I think we're going to see a midfield, another midfield. I at some point. I feel like, how nice would it spot. be to see Alonso at the top getting a P1? Oh, that would, how beautiful, would that be? please. Oh, a dream. But that... I think my, my dream podium for the rest of the season would be probably Alonso on top, like you say. Ricardo second. Alonso, Kimi Vettel. Alonso, Kimi Vettel. Mm. Is it possible to go Alonso, Kimi, Ricardo? Please. It, it is possible to do. Because Vettel has been on before. Yeah. Okay. That's he. He's. That's not. He's Please. not allowed too many podiums. So. All right. That sort of that brings an end. Brings an end. Sorry to our mid-season review. We hope you. Yay. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed it. You know, it's it it feels good to be back, doesn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, but, it was it was nice to waffle yeah. for a little bit. Which of course we can't really put a date on the next podcast. We'll probably try and hope to do one before the end of the season, or hopefully, you know, a couple. Um, you know, it's it's sort of when you get to the business end of the school year, it gets a little tough to. Uh, Find time keep to keep up with things. So yeah. they're a little, they're just a little... There are a couple of windows. We'll yeah. see if we can do something. But anyway, I'm Felix. I'm Tristan. And this has been. Just so you know. <laughs> and this has been the All About F1 podcast. Thank you for listening.